Welcome to this week's podcast with me, Seb Lozier. Coming up, we'll hear from two recent Grand Slam champions, Novak Djokovic on his incredible nine titles at the Australian Open and Philip Polasek on his roundabout injury-plagued journey in tennis from quitting the game for four years to reaching the pinnacle in Melbourne last month. All of that to come. First, though, some other big names as the regular tour has been getting back underway over the past week at the first ATP 500 of the year, the ABN AMRO World Tennis Tournament in Rotterdam. Some of those players coming up, including former world number one Andy Murray. But we start with the tournament director, Richard Krychek. Matthew Kenyon has been speaking with the former Wimbledon champion about the realities of staging the tournament during a global pandemic. Yeah, it's been very different, of course. Uh, the, the only thing uh, which was very positive for, or or, uh, or not the only thing, but already in August, um, our main sponsor, ABM or the bank, said no matter what, uh, we, we support this tournament, so it is going to happen. So if you have no spectators, whatever, uh, so that was for us very important. So already in August, we could say the tournament is going to happen for sure, you know, because sometimes you... you depend uh, on selling tickets to make the tournament happen financially but uh, we didn't have that problem so that issue um, so we went and go ahead uh, to organize it at that time we thought um, or we by rule we were allowed to have a third uh, uh, capacity so uh, 3300 people uh, per session so that's how we started organizing it and then suddenly the the numbers went up again, and then we saw maybe it's going to be two and a half thousand, two thousand, and now we end up with no spectators. But uh, all that time, the only thing that could stop us was basically uh, either the government would forbid us to 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 play, or uh, there would be like an international ban on flying. That would have been also, of course, a problem because then you have no players. But um, yeah, it was different. But at least we knew uh, that uh, already for like six, seven, eight months that we were going to happen for sure. You mentioned the sponsors. Um the organisers of the Australian Open, who did have some fans, were very clear about how much it cost them to put on a, an event with such restricted numbers and, it, and with all the difficulties of quarantine and so on. How, how financially are you? I mean, this, where will the tournament play out financially? Uh, I think it will be around break-even, uh, maybe a little under, I don't know, but something like that. So, and that's only because of the sponsor. Uh, yeah, of course you have less costs. You, we don't have to buy, build the whole VIP village or or uh, other things for for the for the spectators. But um, yeah, there's no income from that side either. And of course, always there's more income than cost. That's how you uh, run the tournament to make a profit. Um, so yeah, it's okay for one year, but uh, we we can't maintain this, of course, uh, for for basically another year, or, or if it's gonna go on for too long. And also, yeah, I don't know how a sponsor likes this. This every 48 years with the same uh, sponsor. So the, the loyalty, you know, in good and in bad times, it was, it was really amazing for us. Yeah, but uh, at one stage also, they want to invite their guests because a normal year, they invite at least 15,000 uh, relations, uh, the, the, the bank does. So, um, and now zero, of course. So um, I, also for them, it's, uh, it, it's important that uh, we go back to, uh, to the old normal, basically. We talked before we started the interview about the main court and how it looks. You've got to try and create some sort of atmosphere for the players here, but also for the people viewing at home. How have you gone about that? Um, yeah, we are 100% TV product, basically, this uh, this year. So it's all for uh, 
uh, for, for TV, uh, how the spectators view it. And also, yeah, for the players, you want to make it as good as possible. So uh, a good place to sit for their coaches and also uh, somehow make it as dark as possible around the court uh, that they don't see completely the empty uh, stands. And also that uh, TV works, uh, I think, pretty good. So, yeah, that was the whole idea. And because normally you always try to do, okay, was it good for the crowd as well? You know, you find the balance. And, um, yeah, it really worked uh, amazing. So I have to give credit to uh, to the people from production and uh, the head of the operations uh, for the tournament. And, uh, yeah, they've done an amazing job. Uh, but it was their job, like we told them, we want that uh, it looks amazing on TV, and I think they succeeded. If I could just ask you about the fact that ultimately... Nadal had to pull out also uh, Monfils, the, the two-time defending champion. I, I mean, obviously it was, you know, that was the way you were marketing things when Nadal's face was very prominent on the... Uh, how, how much of a, a blow was that, that, that those two guys in particular had to pull out at the last minute? Yeah, it's, it's always uh, a shame, you know, when you lose your top seed, especially when it's a legend like Nadal. Um, also, we were promoting the best field ever, which we had. Uh, and now we have still one of our best fields, but it's not anymore the best field, but that just happens. I mean, everybody saw Nadal uh, play through the pain, basically, uh, you know, was injured already before the Spain Open started. And it was amazing that he did what he did. And uh, yeah, everybody understood. Still, it's a shame, of course, we would love to see him. The last time he was here was in 2009, so it's been a, a while. But um, yeah, it's all good. We always have good memories uh, of, of Rafa playing here. And uh, we know that he wants to play. You know, he's an unbelievable competitor. And uh, he only comes to the court when it's possible and when he can play 100%. Uh, Emelvis, uh, yeah, he could have been the first player to win three years in a row. And uh, that would have been amazing also. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a great athlete, great player and also showman, which maybe now uh, shows maybe difficult for him because there's not no crowd to feed off. But um, yeah, there's been a few pullouts. It was a shame, but still we have four players out of the top 10, four out of the top 20, another four, so 11 to 20. And then uh, on top of that, Andy Murray, uh, Felix Algueriliasim, who was in the final last year. So still a great field. Uh, but uh, yeah, you always want, of course, more. And you always want uh, preferably all the top players that you uh, that were supposed to come. There were still a number of top names, including Russian Andrei Rublev, who after a great 2020 has already started this year at a canter at the ATP Cup and Aussie Open. I feel really lucky to be able to, to do my job, to, to be able to travel the world when uh, half of the countries are closed, especially in Europe. And, uh, and I'm able to, to travel, to, to, to do my sport, to, yeah, to live a not normal life, but at least as normal life as possible. And uh, so I can be only grateful and lucky. I, t- I said that 2020 was a good year for you. How how are you trying to make sure that 21 is is an even better year for you? And what are your specific targets? I mean, I'm not thinking this way. And then just we'll see how it goes. Time will show. The only thing uh, my target is, is, as I said before, to focus on the things that I need to improve because these things I can control and uh, yeah, as much as I improve, as better in the end I will play. So yeah, and as better my level will be, hopefully as more matches I will win and yeah, and, and then everything is connected. But what, what do you think you need to improve? Everything. As I said also many times in my case, I'm lucky that I have still 
a lot of space inside of me. I still can play better with forehand, with backhand. I still can improve my defense, uh, especially volleys, uh, surf. I still can improve. There is uh, a lot more to improve. All this. Yeah, defense lies, all these little details mentally. So in the end, we'll see if I can improve them. We'll see what's going to happen. The only Russian ahead of Rublev at the moment is the Australian Open finalist, Daniil Medvedev. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely still a good journey. You know, uh, good two tournaments. I cannot complain, you know, of course, uh, when uh, when you play a tennis tournament, you always want to win it uh, till the last match. So, of course, you are disappointed with the loss, no matter if it's a first round or a final. But it uh, was, uh, was a good run, starting in, uh, in Bercy and uh, I mean ATP Cup title means a lot to me also. Second final of a Grand Slam, so only positive things to be honest, good experience also even in the, in the final that I lost. And uh, looking forward, to, uh, because you know that's uh, how tennis is, you know you cannot uh, look back all the time. Uh, one week passed and you have a new tournament coming and you need to prepare to, to try to win some matches. And while things didn't go to plan in Rotterdam with an early loss to Dusan Lajevic, reaching a career high two in the world is still achievable. To be honest, I always say that um, I don't uh, put myself targets in this way because uh, I feel like if you, if you really put yourself a target and you don't achieve it at the end of the year, that's where I get disappointed because, okay, I've put a goal to me and I didn't achieve it. So I always uh, have some, uh, um, how I can call it, more realistic goals, which is to, to, to get out on practice and give you 100%, to, to get out in match and try to win it no matter what. Uh, every tournament uh, try to just be professional and that's how the results will come that's how the ranking will come because the ranking is is uh, is coming with the results the more big tournaments you win so uh, it's just going to be amazing if I manage to make it but uh, I'm definitely not going to stop if I make it or not I'm going to just uh, try to show my best and uh, that's how I can uh, maybe catch it. Uh, you talked after Australia, I think, about uh, the big three as, as they are now being cyborgs of tennis. It's a, it's a really striking way of, way of thinking about it. Do you have to become a cyborg yourself to challenge them or, is, or how, do you, how do you kind of get into that position? Uh, you need to play your best, you know. I felt it. I, the two finals I played, um, I, I played against uh, two of the big three and uh, Istaf, you know, they... They definitely have something different from uh, other tennis players because uh, just it's uh, in the results that we see it, especially in Grand Slams, what they achieved is, uh, is just unbelievable. I actually have no idea how they managed to do it. I would be interested uh, when, for sure when they finish their career because they will not tell it now what, what went through their mind, how did they prepare and all this stuff because it, uh, it must be really interesting. Um, and yeah, to, to beat them in these stages, you just need to, to show your best, to, to, to give everything you can, to, to just be uh, the best tennis player in the world. And uh, that's what I didn't manage to do in these two matches. And that's where I have to be better. But you're getting closer, you feel? Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, with the results that uh, were coming last two years, I feel like I, I managed to make uh, big progress in my game and especially in these tight matches against top opponents, which I was struggling maybe a little bit earlier in my career. Um, I always said that experience is, uh, is a big role for me, so the more matches I play like this, the, the more times I get to, to these later stages of uh, 
biggest tournaments in the world, the, the more chances I have to, to make it better next time. One man happy to be back out on court is Brit Andy Murray. He's been steadily building up match time after missing out on the Australian Open. Pumped uh, to be back competing again. Um, physically, I, I feel good, uh, which is most important thing uh, just now. And then obviously the next most important thing for me is to, to get matches and to get back to, to winning again on the tour. I got um, five matches uh, and got to the final of the Challenger in Biela and then uh, lost in the first round last week. So, you know, I, I want to try and try and get more matches again. That's the goal. You obviously tested positive for coronavirus just before Australia. Um, that threw your plans into, into disarray. But do, do you feel that you had any physical effects from having the virus? Uh, I'd say more mental, actually, to, to be honest, than physical. Um, it, it obviously affects your tennis a little bit because it'd come at the end of, you know, a long training block. I'd trained really hard for sort of 10 weeks and was feeling really good. And then, you know, I was, I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to do anything, wasn't allowed out the house for um, 10 days. Uh, and yeah, that obviously affects your, you know, your, the, the physical side, but you know, also the mental side as well, because I was really excited and looking forward to Australia and was feeling good. And, you know, I've missed quite a lot of big tournaments in recent years with injury and stuff. And then that happened and I was really, really disappointed. Um, and then I was playing a challenger when you know, the Australian Open was going on and that was frustrating for me. So, um, yeah, still something that I'm probably getting over a bit from the, the, the disappointment and the kind of mental side of things. But physically, I feel good. Canada's young Felix Auger-Aliassime made an early exit in Rotterdam, but he's already reached one final this year at the ATP 250 in Melbourne. And he's happy to play the waiting game for his maiden title. To be honest, uh, it's not a big worry for me. Uh, honestly, seven finals uh, at my age is already great. Uh, it's uh, it's great for my future. Uh, I'm still building the game that I want to play in the future years. Uh, and you know, the main objective is to is to play well one day in the Grand Slams and and, and reach finals there and, and win titles uh, in Grand Slam titles. Uh, but along the way, yeah, I'll win some finals, I'll lose some, and this is kind of my story, and uh, it's okay. Yeah. And I. You did some work with Tony Nadal uh, the, uh, last year, and you know you're you're a young guy still. You, you're still malleable as a player, I guess. How how much difference and what difference did that make to you? Yeah, he helped me uh, uh, last winter, and we're still in contact. And uh, you know, he yeah, he gives me good advice, and it's good to kind of uh, yeah to have a chance to to be on court with him. Uh, to so he would give me um, instant feedback. On, on shots and on my movement and how I could play, uh, talk about other players, talk about, of course, uh, his nephew, uh, that uh, experience he had with him. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that I can learn from him, and I think uh, his advice just bring me uh, a lot of conviction and confidence in myself. And uh, for 2021, then, your target? Do you have an individual target in mind for this year? Well, I would be glad to, uh, to be top 10 you know, by the end of the year be a part of the Masters, that would be a great achievement for me. Uh, that's what I'm pushing for. Uh, will I achieve it? We'll see. But uh, that's definitely uh, my, uh, my biggest goal uh, this year, outside of, of course, uh, you know, being consistent in my level of play and uh, in my spirit and, uh, and, and what I bring on the court every week. And I think that will bring me uh, where I want to be.
And at the end of the week in Rotterdam, it is congratulations to Andrei Rublev for winning the first ATP 500 title of the year. From the champion of Rotterdam to the most recent Grand Slam winner, still to come the inspiring comeback of Slovak Filip Polasek. But first, a man who's grown all too accustomed to winning major titles. Nine and counting, yes, nine in Melbourne alone. ATP Uncovered has been charting the phenomenal success down under of Novak Djokovic. It still feels great. I'm very fulfilled and happy and, and joyful to, to be holding this trophy again. In Montreal, there was second big title that I won. I remember I won against both Federer and Adal. So try again, it's time to take a vitamin. 20 years old and uh, being able to win against top two players in the world in the same tournament was, uh, was a huge achievement and that gave me obviously wings for, for the rest of my career. Novak, you must be full of confidence right now. Yes, I am. I got that, uh, 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 confidence, that's right. Oh, yes! I mean, I understand I won my first Grand Slam in 2008 in the Australian Open. But it's a career-defining moment, and he can't quite believe it. And then I uh, haven't won any Grand Slam till 2011. He's done it! Victory for Djokovic! The, by far stands out as the most exciting tennis match I ever played in my life. I mean, playing almost six hours in a Grand Slam final against top rival, it's you know, one of these moments that you will remember forever, that you will cherish forever. There is so much that I can do, I think, still. There is so much to prove. I, I want to keep on winning and try to win more Grand Slams. Achievement for the Serbian superstar. Last five, six years has been an incredible ride, and to be able to reach this stage where I can possibly make history is absolutely amazing. He's been able to raise the level of his game to win the major championships. Set up your, your best form for the for the big ones, and that's what I was trying to do in the last five or six years, and uh, it's been working well for me. As he prepares, he serves down the tee. I feel like I, I'm reaching the peak of my of my mental and physical emotional abilities. There's a forehand from the Serb. Oh, Nadal's hit it long, and Djokovic wins. It's an utterly dominating win, and he stands above all others at the Australian Open and wins for a seventh time. I had time to reflect on everything that uh, was done in Australia and lots of positives to, to carry into the rest of the season. Australian Open Courts, Melbourne Park was always very suitable to my game. That's probably my most successful court in my career, in my life, so I, I love playing there. Wide from team! This place is known as Rodley Marina, but this court belongs to Novak Djokovic! Everyone has their own journey and their own way of making history. Another title for the world's best. I'm trying to, to build that and develop that myself. 
in a very unique, authentic way that is suitable to me. It is championship point, Novak Djokovic. Medvedev served down the tee. Big forehand for Djokovic is in. He gets a short ball, plays it to the juice court. He's going to play the backhand volley. Medvedev goes over the top. Djokovic, yes! <laughs> Congratulations. What does number nine mean to you? I try to remind myself of how important this is and you know, enjoy it as much as I can. Coming to Australia, it always brings that extra dose of confidence to me because of my record here and because of how I play in Australia. So Djokovic taking the singles crown as widely expected, probably less expected, was Filip Palasek's victory in the doubles alongside Ivan Dodig. Palasek only recently returned to the game after more than four years away. At one stage, he even feared he might not walk freely again, let alone swing a racket in anger on tour. Ahead of what proved a whirlwind fortnight in Melbourne, he spoke with our reporter, Mike Cation. I had to stop because uh, I had a back injury and uh, it was pushing my nerves and uh, I couldn't really feel my left leg, I couldn't jump, I couldn't land on it, I couldn't push to, to my left leg and uh, the leg was even uh, bouncing it when I finished the matches and then I decided to stop. Uh, obviously I, I was still able to, to handle okay, I mean it's still to 13, I won like two ATP tournaments in uh, Zagreb and Casablanca but uh, it wasn't for me handable for like in the long term then i decided to stop i tried to treat it but it didn't really works then uh, i starts uh, it was still like kind of painful even after a year or two after then uh, i find out only what i could do it was like coaching the kids like 8 to 14 pretty much that and that's what i was doing for for three years what were those moments like when you realized you had to stop and you, you felt like you were so close? I believe you got to a career high of 20 yeah. uh, before the injury. I imagine so close to the pinnacle of our sport, the top of our sport. Uh, what were those emotions like realizing you weren't going to get there? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it wasn't easy. Uh, exactly as you said, I, at the beginning of uh, the 212, uh, I achieved the career high 20. I was playing really well. Uh, winning many tournaments, uh, doing great, and actually in uh, middle to 12 it starts all the happenings. Like when uh, we lost actually to Ivan Dodig and uh, Marcello Melo in the Roland Garros, and uh, I, I was hardly like jumping from my leg and couldn't serve. And then was going through the treatments. I took off almost from uh, just play Wimby, but up to the U.S. Open didn't play. And then at the U.S. Open I made the quarters then still like doing great I mean still feeling like I mean there is a lot of what, uh, what I have the potential but then it was like on and off and uh, wasn't great and the emotional of course it wasn't easy to handle it up I mean uh, for some time I was uh, I was kind of off and uh, all mentally I wasn't uh, for sure happy about it and it took a bit time to kind of uh, solve it out or like to, to get it to the normal normal way uh, so 11 titles before before the injury, fantastic career. So I imagine after a couple of years, you're thinking to yourself, I did well, 
and now it's the next stage of my life. So what changed? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I never thought I will come back. I mean, maybe half a year after I stopped, I was thinking, yeah, maybe I would try it one time. But uh, after four years, you're not thinking, yeah, I'm going to come back. I mean, that's, uh, that's for sure. No, I was always saying, I mean, uh, pretty much I retired the first time in Dallas in 28, where most of the guys don't even start with the Dallas. And I, I already had 11 tournaments titles, played quarters of US Open, be top 20, which a lot of great achievements. Mm-hmm. I, I could be proud about it and uh, I was happy with that. And then I was coaching and uh, suddenly, suddenly it comes, uh, I get one more chance to play and... I decided to took it. Yeah, tell me about the interaction with the Bryan brothers um, and how that came about. Uh, yeah, it was with the mic. Uh, it came actually was uh, funny because it was about the time when I was asked to play also club matches in Germany, which actually starts and I was like, okay, I need to get ready. <laughs> and pretty much at that week where I had the weekend playing the club match in Germany, the, the mic arrives and the guys... Uh, from the club were calling me the Thursday before. Uh, would you would you hit to mine like uh, hit with the mic on uh, Monday? Mm-hmm. I, like no, with the, like uh, just with the Brian. I was like, what Brian? Like, <laughs> yeah, like one of them. Like I don't know. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're kidding me. Like it's for sure not either of them is gonna come to Slovakia. I mean, what they would do here? <laughs> But then apparently, I mean, Mike shows up and uh, we had a great time together. I mean, we hit, uh, then he stays in Slovakia for a week. We hit uh, three times. We played some doubles even. I organized with uh, with one more with Igor Zelenai, the Slovak doubles player. And uh, we had a great time. And uh, he was already that time telling me, yeah, you should come back. You're still playing well. And I was like, yeah, yeah, easy. I mean, <laughs> I'm happy here. I mean, uh, I had... To, I had the daughter that time already, and uh, I was really happy about the about the life, and I I wasn't missing the all around the tennis. Yeah. I mean, then I wasn't at that time still thinking, but then it starts pretty quick, and in two months later, I was already playing tournaments. So how how, how did you make some adjustments to what you did? You know, what are the big differences that you you made as you were starting the comeback? Yeah, I mean, uh, the first of all. I always said, like, this is something else. It's not like comeback. I mean, for me, I was always saying, like, this is kind of second career because it has pretty much nothing to do with the first one. I'm just using the experience what I had, like, for those six years what I've been at the top before. But uh, a lot of things change. I mean, uh, I'm older, trying to look even smarter. Not not sure if that works. (laughs) I'm the father, which I wasn't before. Uh, I'm a bit different uh, body structure. I am now like four kilos less, uh, which it's also like I am not that fast as I used to be, but I have some other other advantages what I didn't have before. I see tennis much clearer than I was like, okay. But I still decide to not go like straight like, okay, I'm going to come back because or I'm going to start again. I mean, it would just be crazy. I was like... I took a week vacation, uh, the one month vacation uh, at the at the club where I was doing the the head coach, and I said the guys because the guys were like former tennis players as well, and I said guys, listen, I mean I may be healthy, I'm gonna try to play and to hit some balls for one month, and we see how it works. And uh, I went for two futures, won first, play final second, lost from match point, 
Uh, then we go off and then uh, we get the two wild cards uh, at the Challengers tournament in Czech Republic. The second, uh, first uh, tournament we lost second round and the second tournament which was in Liberec and uh, we played final. And after that I played one more future right away in Slovakia and I won. And after those five weeks when uh, I jumped in like without the practice, without doing any fitness stuff and I was like, if body holds this, <laughs> then I can keep going. Yeah. Because then I start taking care of my body and it's gonna be even better. And the body holds. Yeah. I felt like something, but it wasn't like anything like before. It was more like the body didn't play, didn't do any activity for three years. Then I felt all the muscles. I mean, I was destroyed after every match. But uh, I survived those five weeks, and then I decided, okay, I try to, I try to push it. And uh, yeah, so far it's worked well. So, so was it really just kind of one of those wait and see? You took that month, and and then you said, I really have it again. Yeah, but uh, I was more just looking if uh, the pain come. I wasn't really looking if uh, the game's gonna be there. I mean, it was only maybe the the hints like there is gonna be like the game is good enough, and I have some level. But I wasn't like really wondering about like what level I gonna show. I mean, I knew it like I can't play really well when I didn't do anything for last three years. I didn't hit one ball and I didn't. As I was coaching the kids max to 16, I didn't see ball flying uh, faster than 80 miles per hour. Then I knew it, the level is not going to be great, but it was more about only if the body survives. So then when did you realize, I, I can be inside the top 40, I can be inside the top 30 potentially? These days I, I learned a lot from, the, from my previous, uh, previous time. And uh, these days I'm taking day by day, uh, pretty much tournament by tournament. Of course, I always want to win every match. I mean, as all we athletes are really competitive and we, we hate to lose, then uh, whatever I do, I always want to win. Doesn't matter if it's going to be gambling against my girlfriend or if it's going to be the match on court. Then uh, I really always want to win, but uh, it's never you never think like when you start in comeback after five years, yeah, in, a way, in 13 months, I'm going to be top 40. Whoever thinks, I think it would be crazy. I mean, you have to take it. I mean, there was a lot of steps. I just made kind of like semi-steps. I, I pre-schedule like what I would like to achieve in like three months, six months, one year. But it was more like about like where pretty much to get to what positions or what where I would like to be able to get it. Then we see how it goes. Because I didn't play against the top guys. I didn't know how it's going to work. Uh, apparently when I play against them it works well so far <laughs> now along with success though comes expectation you mentioned how you had these three month six month type of goals what's next uh, next yeah for me the expectation is maybe a little bit different than for uh, many other guys uh, I just want to play every day as good as I can because I learned already from the from past and also now I'm learning like I just need to try to play as good as I, as I can as many days as possible and if I gonna be able to do that then then the results come mm. the pretty much results are always showing how good or bad you're playing at that moment then for me it's more like try to play good and then we see what 
what's the achievement I'm gonna have and then maybe after the career I can sit down and say like if the achievement were well or they wasn't like that great as I was expecting. You mentioned you're a father now. What has your family thought of this um, incredible run? Yeah, uh, actually that was also one of the reasons why I started because uh, my girlfriend, we started uh, being together after my career then she never was with me when I was playing and she was asking me like between six to nine months every time like, are we not missing? And I was like, no, no, I'm not missing. I'm not missing the traveling. I like to being at home, to have a free weekends and I, I like my, my life at the moment. And but she was still like kind of pushing me and like giving me like ah oh, do you want you don't want to try it I was no 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 I don't want to try it. But uh, once I realized okay I'm healthy, then uh, I was thinking a lot of uh, inside of me, but also talking a lot of uh, with my girlfriend how it would be if uh, she would be able to handle it because at this moment. Uh, it's not easy for her as well. I mean, uh, being away of family, it's uh, it's not easy, and then uh, she needs to handle it with uh, with our little daughter for four weeks almost at a daily basis. It's uh, it's not the easy thing, but uh, I'm getting uh, a lot of support at home. I mean, uh, she was from the first moment. She was so happy. Yes, let's do it without that kind of. Uh, support what I am getting at home it uh, it would be it, it, it wouldn't be possible how's that for an inspiring story thanks for listening to this week's ATP tennis radio podcast I'm Seb Lozier we'll be back next week with more exclusive interviews from the world's leading players as we count down now to the first Masters 1000 of the year in Miami where we'll have live commentary every day in the meantime tell a friend about the podcast leave us a review and enjoy the tennis.